This teaching is brought to you by Christian Family Church International. How many of you are thankful to the Lord for your health, for a great church and a great family? Isn't God good? Amen. He's worthy to be praised. Well, I'm going to ask you to stay seated as I open up in prayer, and we're going to get directly into the Word. Father, we come before you this morning in the precious and wonderful name of Jesus. We celebrate your Word. Father, thank you that we don't have to work the Word, that your Word works us. And so as I pray, I pray as I teach today, Lord God, that your word would penetrate into each and every heart, dispelling confusion, removing doubt, causing, causing faith to rise, dispelling all fear. I thank you for understanding, Lord God, and I thank you that your seed will produce the corresponding action. We will all be changed by your grace today, and I give you all the glory for this in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Praise the Lord. I want to thank Apostle Fear for this opportunity that I have of teaching you this morning. And these next 30 minutes are going to be a roller coaster ride, so hang in there. Praise the Lord. Today, I'm going to be teaching from, or portion of my message is going to be focused on the concluding statements that Jesus makes in the longest recorded sermon that we have in the Bible that he preached. Now, two gospel writers record this teaching of Jesus. The first one being Matthew, very detailed guy. He was a tax collector. He was a Jew. And the second one is Luke. But in order to get the full impact of what Jesus was trying to convey, you really have to read both of these accounts. I'm not going to be going through all of them because Jesus' message stretches over three chapters, from Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1 all the way to Matthew chapter 8. It's three full chapters. I'm going to be focusing on the conclusion. Why? Because conclusions are important. How many of you have ever opened a novel and gone to the last page to see how it ends before you read the rest of the book? Wave at me, wave at me. Okay, because you want to know, you can't, you, you can't resist to see how it ends, right? My wife and I were watching a film some years ago. Two great actors, good-looking actors were in the film. I can't remember what the name of the movie was. But the movie started out as this guy taking a flight to go and marry his wife, his fiancée, he was going to go marry his fiancée in Florida, and he was in Chicago at the time, and while trying to get out of the airport and take off, they were all snowed in. It just so happens all the aircraft were grounded, and so he figured, well, I'm going to have to take the drive. Went to the car rental kiosk, got the second to last person, all the cars were taken. The lady in front of him actually got the last rental car that was available. So she's this kind of free-loving, attractive actor. You know, she's a free-loving spirit. Yeah, this guy's going to get married. And she says to him, she has an offer that he can't refuse. She says, listen, why don't we share a car? We'll drive together. And I'm thinking, oh, God, this is only going one way. My wife's thinking, this is a formula for a great love story. I can't believe what's about to happen. I'm just thinking, listen, you run away from sin, not run to it, brother. Say no, say no. Rather be trapped. And she's going, this is gonna, you know what you women are like, you know? And so anyway, so he gets in the car with her first mistake. Gets in the car, they're traveling, and you can see this kind of relational friction starts building up, you know, this tension. They're attracted to one another. She's really fighting for him. He's trying to resist her. We know what that is like, men. Um, so, so this whole thing evolves. Eventually, it gets to the point in the film where they share a kiss, and by now, I've had it. I'm thinking, listen, this is the worst flippant film I've ever watched. Typical Hollywood. They mess it up every time. My wife is getting more into this film, and, she's, and then right at the end, he gets to the venue where he's about to be married. Now, my wife has watched this film. It's the best film she's ever seen. Up until this point, I'm thinking, this show is pathetic. It's so anti-Bible, anti-God. That's me thinking this way. And so what happens is, he gets out the car, and Hollywood got it right for once. 
Hollywood gets it right for once, and he says to this woman, he says, I'm going to get married. It's been great. Thank you for the lift. Cheers. And I'm going, yes! Hey, there is. They got it right for the first time. What an awesome film. My wife is thinking, this is the biggest load of rubbish I've ever seen in my whole life. I can't believe I wasted an hour and a half to watch. (laughs) It's just amazing that the last one minute of that film determined exactly how we viewed everything that happened up until that point in time. My message today is based upon the last few concluding statements of this message that Jesus preaches initially to the first people he is about to build his church with in Matthew chapter five. The title of my message is How to Change Your World. Jesus came to change the world. He changed us so that we could change our world. And he's about now to preach and to show these folks exactly what they need to do in order to change their world. So let's pick up the preach. Although I'm going to be going to the end pretty soon, I just want to give you a bit of a preamble to create context. So in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 3, Jesus starts off his preach and he says, God blesses those who realize their need for him. So here we go. The first statement Jesus makes to an audience of over 3,000 people, he says, if you want God to bless you, you're going to have to trust me. Not believe in me. Trust me. There's a difference between belief and trust. It's like the guy that was, you've heard the story before, but it bears repetition. He's about to cross the Niagara Falls on a tightrope. He's standing on one side. Thousands of people are there cheering him on. He says, how many of you believe I can walk across this gorge just with a balancing pole? Everybody says, yes, you can do it. Yes, you can do it. And guess what? He walks across, makes it to the other side. The crowd on the other side of the waterfall is going nuts. I can't believe. That's amazing you did it. He said, okay, I'm about to go back. How many of you believe I can make it back? Everybody says, of course you can. We saw you come here. He says, I'm going to push a wheelbarrow. Do you still believe I can do it? Yes, we believe you can do it. Go ahead. He says, okay, who's getting in the wheelbarrow. Straight away, you see who are fans of Jesus and who are friends. There's a difference between fans and friends. You see, fans believe, friends obey. That's the difference. Friends trust. So Jesus says, if you want to live a blessed life, your life must move from simple mental assent, which is belief, to trust. Are you going to get in the wheelbarrow with me? This is the first statement that Jesus makes to the church. And if this is the first time you're hearing the gospel preached, friend, Jesus is posing that same question to you today. Will you just believe in me or will you trust me? When I say be not anxious for anything, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden. And put your burdens upon me, for my burden is easy, my yoke is light. He says, and I will take care of them. Do we give our burdens to Jesus and still carry them around with us 24-7? Because you see, folks, that's not trust. That's just mental ascent. So Jesus throws this challenge out to them and he says, "Will do you really know that you need me? How many of you will attest to the fact that you need Jesus here today? Can I see your hands, okay? And so then Jesus proceeds in this long teaching, and he deals with a lot of spiritual aspects, but also a lot of moral issues. And he uses Matthew to record this sermon of his quite clinically, because Matthew was a Jewish tax collector, so he still had a lot of the law clinging to him. He, believed, he was a man that believed, listen, it's not okay to believe right, you must live right. Not just believe right, you must live right. And so you'll notice that he touches on a lot of moral issues. Now, we know morality can't get you into heaven. Our good works are like filthy rags before the Lord. But how many of you know believing in Jesus better lead to a better moral lifestyle? Otherwise, you're really not changed. Jesus died that you'd be a new creation, not a better one. 
Jesus didn't die so that we would be better. He died so that we would be new. And this newness is visibly seen. He goes on in Matthew, Matthew 6 a bit later to say, you'll know a tree by its fruit. You wanna know the type of person you're dealing with, just watch the way they act, speak, and say who they hang around with. It's not, it's not rocket science. So Jesus says, trust in many, and he uses Matthew. So the very next thing Jesus teaches on is the importance of salt and light. Now I'm gonna share something with you that I haven't shared very often, and that's this. When I first got saved as a Christian, you know there was one scripture that petrified me in the Bible. No, it wasn't the tithe. It had nothing to do with money. I wasn't scared about giving my money away. You wanna know what scared me? The fact that the Bible says I have a light inside of me and this light should not be hidden under a table, but it should be placed on a mountaintop so that everyone can see it. And I realized, I realized as I read the gospels that there is gonna come a day when Jesus is gonna expect me to tell someone about him. It scared the living daylights out of me. I promise you, as a young 12-year-old boy that first surrendered his heart to Jesus, the idea that I would have to demonstrate Christ and speak about him to others petrified. Now today, I, today I'll preach to anything that moves. I've got no problem sharing my faith. It is a power of God unto salvation for all those who believe. First for the Jew, the religious, then the Gentile, the one who doesn't believe God. I tell you, I trust God for his wisdom. And by the way, that's my message tonight, is part two of how to change your world. We're gonna have a hoot tonight. I'm gonna be sharing some ridiculous ridiculously funny stories about how the Lord has used me to witness to others. But it's interesting that Jesus over here, after saying, trust me and, and about being merciful in the Beatitudes, he goes on to say that you are salt and light, you have a light, and there's gonna come a day where it's gonna shine. And you better be prepared to let it shine. Now granted, some lights are faint, other lights are, other lights are bright, but there is gonna come a day where you are gonna have to share your faith with someone. But guess what? The more in love you fall with Jesus, the easier it becomes. I was never fearful when I fell in love with my wife. By the, back then I was 13, she was 12. I had, never, I had no reservations, and that's not a license for all you 12 and 13 year olds now to... My daughter used that against me once at 13. Why can't I date? I said, because I said so. She says, but you did. I said, don't make the exception the rule. Can I get an amen, parents? Okay, so I, I, I was never embarrassed or felt, or felt caged in when I had to go to my friends and say, listen, I've got a girlfriend. There she is, ta-da, you know? <laughs> We should feel the same way about Jesus. But come back tonight if you want to and, um, and you'll be thoroughly blessed. I believe that there's gonna be a commissioning taking place. The Lord's gonna pour out his anointing and he's gonna give you wisdom to win the people in your world because that's one of the ways to change them. So continuing on, Jesus teaches about, about the law and the role that it plays. He says, I did not come to abolish the 10 commandments. I came to fulfill them and to give you the power to do exactly the same. He teaches about anger. In actual fact, Jesus goes on to say, he says, listen, now that you know what your gift is, even before you operate in that gift, he says, if you have anything against anybody, first go sort that out and then come and operate in your gift. So if you're a teacher, don't teach if you've got anything in your heart towards anybody. It's basic Christianity. It's practical, basic stuff, you know, that he's teaching on. But it's interesting in the context with which he's sharing it. This is a fresh, new church that is about to be birthed and he's instilling in these people some of the kingdom principles that are gonna help them change their world. He teaches about adultery. I mean, Jesus doesn't pull any punches, does he? He doesn't hold back and wait for them first to be assured and then fully matured. He just says, listen, you commit adultery with your eye, not with your sexual parts. You commit adultery with your eye and your heart. If you do that, matata fela. 
Whereas in English, it means trouble. He goes on to teach about divorce, dealing with some real moral stuff here, teaching about vows. He says, listen, keep your promise, man. How are you going to believe that I'm a God that's a promise keeper when you're continually a promise breaker? I'm telling you now, and I've got scripture to prove that when every time you break your promise, your faith weakens. That's why I'd rather be careful before you make a promise. Yeah, I'll call you tomorrow. Let's hook up. Let's get together. We'll do this. We'll do that. And you have no intention of doing it. I promise you, you're messing with your faith. Then he goes on to teach about revenge. He teaches about loving your enemies. He says this, but I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That's a tough one. If I could tear out a page, I think it might be this one. He says, love your enemies. And then you know what he goes on to say in verse, in verse hang on. <laughs> I'm resisting this with every fiber of my being. In verse, verse 48, I knew that, I was just checking. Okay, so in verse 48, he says this, he says, in the context of loving your enemies, he says, be perfect even as your heavenly father is perfect. I find it interesting that he's saying to these new believers in him, if you wanna to strive towards perfection, it has everything to do with loving those who hate you. In the context of it. You can't live your life with animosity towards anybody and think you are on the road to perfection into the will of God. It's interesting that that's where he says, be perfect. So the more you are loving those who hate you, the more perfect we are becoming. Who's someone you got something against right now? Take a step into the greater will of God by just letting it go. Then he goes on to about teaching about giving to the needy and he says, listen, do it secretly. I had this aunt. She's gone home to be with the Lord now, but whenever I brought her to church on the rare occasion, she'd open her wallet and she'd take out a 100 rand note or 200 rand note. And she'd put it in the envelope, not like this. She'd put it in like this. <laughs> so that everybody could see down the aisle exactly what was happening. Jesus says, listen, man, if you're doing that and people go, ooh, you generous, you've already lost your reward. So can you see, it's just basic stuff. Practical stuff that challenges our heart. Then he goes on to teach about, he goes on to teach about fasting and prayer and teaching about money and possessions. Look at this, Jesus, the first time he preaches to a mass crowd, takes up an offering. <laughs> and yet we worried about saying, hey, listen, let's not bring money into this thing until people know who Jesus is. No, he goes on straight away. He says, listen, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. He doesn't say your treasure follows your heart. He says your heart follows your treasure. Basic stuff, right? He says, listen, in that, he says, you cannot have two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. He doesn't even mention the devil. So here he's, he's establishing this new church, and he's really dealing with some basic, practical things. He goes on in verse number 25. <laughs> verse 25, he says, I tell you, don't worry about everyday life. Here's an instruction from Jesus to everybody. He's saying, listen, don't worry. Akuna matata. Don't worry about tomorrow. I've got this. And you know why Jesus can say this? Because in verse one, he says, if you trust me, you don't have to worry about anything. <laughs> so whatever you're worrying about now, let me tell you what you're worrying about, God can't fix. Let me just make that. Jesus here says what you are worrying about right now. I don't care if it's an outstanding bill, a mortgage payment, a wife that's left you, children that are rebellious. If you're carrying this anxiety in your heart, I'm saying to you, either you fix it or Jesus fixes it, but he's not gonna get involved if you're involved. 
So it's just dealing with some basic stuff that even us as a church tend to get caught up in sometimes. Then he teaches about prayer. Oh, he teaches about the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Look at how basic the principles are that Jesus is conveying to these folks, right? And then just before we go into the concluding statements that Jesus makes, he goes on to speak about you'll know a tree by its fruit. You will know a tree by its fruit. Without, an, without apples on an apple tree, the naked eye wouldn't be able to see what that tree was. But you notice the fruit and you know what the tree is. So you know what the fruit is, you know what the root is. Just take a look. Sometimes you can do this not only with people, with decisions that you've made. What decisions that you've made. If you've made a decision to start courting a specific person and all hell breaks loose, guess what? You don't need to be a rocket scientist. The fruit of that decision is chaos, so therefore, bad decision. You go into business with someone and all of a sudden your profits were okay, but now there's conflict and strife in the business. You will know a decision by its fruit. So then you can just check the fruit and realize this is bad decision. This is not what we're going to go ahead and go and do. That's what Jesus says. You will know a tree by its fruit. And then he goes on to teach this portion of scripture and he uses a metaphor. And at this point, I'm gonna ask please if Pastor Donaldson, if my props would come up, Pastor Donaldson, Donaldson and Paul, teacher Paul, if you wouldn't come and standing on the stage for me as I conclude this message, I've got 12 minutes to go, praise the Lord. And it says this in chapter seven and verse 24. Now you can go to your notes that are on the app, by the way. Jesus is speaking after he's gone through all of these issues, dealt with moral things, spiritual things, dealt with forgiveness, loving your enemies, dealt with keeping your word, how to pray, the golden rule, the narrow gate, the tree and its fruit. He's dealt with all these practical steps. He says this in verse number 24. He says, anyone who listens to my teachings and obeys me is wise. We're talking about how to change your world. Anyone who listens to my teachings and obeys me is wise, like a person who built his house on solid rock. Now, it's interesting. Matthew speaks about solid rock. If you go read in Luke chapter 6, Luke says he laid his foundation on the rock. Foundation is important, and I'm going to be spending some time with, about that in a moment. He says, though the rain comes in and torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on rock. Its foundation is on rock. But anyone who hears the teachings and ignores it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will fall with a mighty crash. So Jesus has given a whole bunch of instructions and he says, listen, there are two types of builders in the church. He's talking about Christians here, believers in him. How do I know this? Because both these men heard the word of God. Both the wise man and the foolish man heard the word of God. Interestingly enough, it is the same rains, same winds, and same floods came to both of these men. So it doesn't mean because you live a better life that things are going to go easier for you. No, the same challenges are going to come to us regardless. The difference being this, that the foolish builder lost everything. So there, think about it. This should be very sobering for us. There are people in the church who come to church, who hear the word of God, but still, when trouble comes, will inevitably lose everything. Everything. This flood washed everything away. They had nothing. No house, no foundation. They had nothing. There are people in the church today who lose everything. The reason being is because of this truth or this principle. 
So Jesus says there are two types of builders. Now, I'm going to take this metaphor perhaps just a bit further as I conclude my message today and tell you the story about two pastors. Not two builders, two pastors. Now remember, this metaphor is not about houses. Do you think Jesus is concerned about houses here? Or do you think he's trying to teach us that we're all building something? Every single one of us are building our Christian lives, right? Every single one of us. And the house is not as important as the foundation, which is what he's drawing attention to over here. He says the one is built on sand and the other one is built on rock. So here we have these two pastors from Christian Family Church, okay? They both decide they're gonna plant a church, but they're gonna pool their resources. Kempton Park's big enough. If they plant a church on either side of CR Swart Road, there's enough people in that area to populate both churches. So why pay for separate building plans? Why get separate advice? Why consult a separate engineer? So they come put their heads together and they say, okay, listen, we're gonna build each a church that seats a thousand people. It's gonna be three stories, one, two, three. The bottom level will seat 1,000 people, the middle level has place for children's church, and the upper level is gonna be offices. They both agree, that's wonderful. So they consult the building engineer, and the engineer says, okay, drafts the plans, and he says to these guys, listen, in order to sustain a building that high and that big, you're gonna need a foundation that's at least 10 meters deep, steel reinforced, concrete. That's what it's gonna require to build the superstructure of your Christian life. Sorry, I mean your church. Okay, that's what, it's gonna, that's what it's gonna require. Now, the Bible says there's two types of pastors. You got the wise pastor over here. Dynamite comes in small packages. Praise the Lord, hallelujah. So you've got the wise pastor over here. Then you've got the foolish pastor over here, even though he's dressed like Benny Hinn, bless his precious heart. Um, dressing doesn't amount to much in the kingdom of God. And you see, this is, so, so this guy's now reading the instructions from the engineer, and he says, listen, man, 10 meters, you've got to be kidding me. Nobody drives past a building and says, nice foundation. <laughs> Nobody even sees what's under the ground. And you see, this is the type of believer that Jesus is speaking about. Who are you when no one's watching? Because that's the foundation. So you get the wide, you get the foolish builder that says, listen, I, pff, nobody's gonna even know, nobody. I'm putting in two meters. I'm gonna get it done, chop, chop. Guess what? We're in competition. So I'm gonna outbuild him, build my church, fill my church. And here this guy is, he just takes the engineer's word for it. And he says, 10 meters, it's gonna take longer than I expect it to take, cost more than I'm, but, but you know what? The engineer knows best. The engineer knows best. So they begin to dig their foundation. Pastor Donaldson, as small as what he is, he's got the kufut, he's got the pick, and he's digging his foundation. Paul over here digs a two-meter foundation. He's done. Now, you are a person looking to belong to a church. You are someone that's looking to follow a leader because everyone needs to follow someone. Never follow anyone who's not following anyone. Everybody's looking to follow someone. So you're driving down CR Swart. Within a week, his foundation is laid, his concrete, he's already finished his first story. Pastor Donovan over here, Pastor Donaldson is still digging, digging, digging. You're driving down CR Swart Avenue, you say, listen, I can't wait. This, this is my man. This is a mover and shaker. That guy's still playing with picks and shovels. This guy's building. I mean, he's up a story already. I don't have time. Jesus is coming back. I need to be a mover and shaker, so I can't wait to go to this pastor's church. I mean, this guy makes it happen. Pastor Donald Slovia, blood, sweat, and tears. He's digging, he's laying, because he knows that what people don't see matters. He knows that what people don't recognize or acknowledge matters. 
So he's taking his time to dig his foundation. Pastor Paul over here lays his first story, the slab, second story, the slab, busy on the third story. He only starts every morning when you drive to work, you're becoming more convinced, man, I can't wait to follow this guy and be in this church because man, alive, I'm going places. Listen, let me tell you what. He's just about to lay the roof, put the roof on the third story. I need a drink of water for this. And all of a sudden, a huge crack develops right down the side of the building. And he looks at this and he says, Elaine, it's his wife. Elaine, fagalo polyfilla. Bring the polyfilla. My life is falling apart. This is exactly what happens with a man that compromises his foundation. All of a sudden now, all building stops. All progress stops. Why? Because now he's got to start spending time fixing the cracks in his life. I mean, in his building. While he's fixing the cracks in this building, Pastor Donovan's laying, Pastor Donaldson's laying his first, Pastor Donovan, you're getting credit here as the wise builder. But Pastor Donaldson's laying his first story, second story. You're driving down CR Swart Avenue thinking, but hang on, what happened? Why did this guy just stop all of a sudden? Hurry up and wait. I haven't heard that since I was in the army. But is this really the guy? He's busy polyfilling. All of a sudden, a huge crack down the other side of the building. He says, Shiloh, that's his daughter. Shiloh, fagala polyfiller, that's side. And all of a sudden, now the family becomes involved. And now the... Everything changes. The whole dynamic changes. And guess what? Guess what? (laughs) He decides, listen, I need help. I've got to go to an engineer to tell me what's wrong. But I'm not going to go back to the pastor who counseled me the first time because he knows where I crooked the books. I'm going to go find myself another church, someone who doesn't know me, someone who can perhaps analyze my situation and give me a shortcut fix. Because I know what it's going to take. In my heart, I know where I compromised. In my heart, I know where I cheated. In my heart, I know where I failed. But I don't want to go back to the original man who gave me the plan. Now, while he's consulting and getting counsel, because that's what happens, you see. Weak foundation, you'll spend your years in counsel. You never change. You never get delivered. Why? Because you never want to do what you know you ought to do. So he goes to the engineer while he's consulting. This takes a couple of weeks. Pastor Donaldson's first floor, second floor, third floor. Roof is up. You're driving down Sierra Swart. And then you're thinking, hey, God, I made a mistake. I can't wait to go to this man's church. I can't wait to follow a man who builds slowly and steadily without stopping, without pausing. He just, he's, he's just there. He's systematically growing. I can't wait to be a part of this man's life. Maybe I was eager because I wanted a quick fix, but I know that Christianity is not a quick fix. I know that Christianity is work. It takes time. It takes failure. It takes discipline. It takes investment. It takes cost. It takes all these things. And I need a man. I need a man that was prepared to pay that price. This is the man I want to follow. The engineer comes back to Paul. He says, listen, buddy, I can tell you you've only got one or two options. He says, tell me what are they? The engineer says, listen, one of, or you've got to rip down the whole building and pull out the foundation. Corinthians says there can be no other foundation except the one laid by Jesus Christ. Pull down the building, rip up the foundation. He says, no, 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 I can't do that. I can't lose all that money. Please, I can't go through all that trouble again. Tell me what is, what is, what's another shortcut? What's the other option? And the engineer says to me, he says, Paul, you've only got one other option. I'll tell you what it is. 
He says, you've got to remove the third story, remove the roof. Remove the second story, remove the slab. Remove half of the first story. And then put your roof on top of that. Because the foundation you laid will never be able to get you past a half story life. It's the maximum it'll ever be able to contain. And you will have to spend the rest of your life living a half story life with a half story membership. And who wants to go to a church that you only can stand this tall in and worship? Now that might be good for Pastor Donson. (laughs) But it's not good for the most, for the rest of us. It really is not good for the rest of us. Who wants to live a half? But you know the sad truth is that the same fool that didn't consider to lay a foundation that Jesus spoke about in Matthew chapter 5 through to Matthew chapter 7, who doesn't believe that, that same man will say, listen, I'll be satisfied with a half-story life. And the only people you will ever get into your life will be half-story people that don't add to you, but just take away from you for the rest of your life. You have to obey the Word of God. You have to do it His way or no way. It has to be His way or no way. You say to me, Pastor Andre, as I close, how do I know whether I'm a wise builder? How do I know whether I'm, how do I know whether I'm a foolish builder? Sorry, Paul. How do I know whether I'm a wise builder? It's all got to do with the foundation that I've spent 30 minutes teaching you on. So how do I know, Pastor Andre, what my foundation is like? Jesus said this, it's so simple, it's ridiculous. He says, the man who hears my word and does it. When you walk into that church, this church, your posture must be, Lord, today I'm coming to hear your word. I know you've got something for me today. It may, be pa- it may be put in a package that I don't like, but I'm telling you now, if it resonates with me, if it stretches me, if it challenges me, if it causes me to sacrifice and give up something, Jesus, I'm your man. I'm gonna do it. When forgiveness is preached about, you don't wait for a month. Straight away as you walk out the door, you phone the person and say, forgive me. I need to make right with you. I can't cause my foundation to be weakened in God's ability to save me simply because I'm holding a grudge. I'm letting it go. When giving is preached about, you're not the guy that waves his Bible and says, Lord, yes, that's a great giving message. When I come next week, that's when I'm really going to sacrifice. No, 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 no. That's the foolish builder. Which one are you today? Are you the wise or are you the foolish? Will you build with intentionality? Will you build with cause? Will you build with purpose? Will you build slowly and steadily? Or will you be a master shortcut taker and end up losing everything? The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 10, the reason the storms come is to differentiate between these two. Who will keep what they've got and who and who will lose what they've, and the storm will come. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Thank you, gentlemen. Let's give them a hand. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerantz. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerantz and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com.